It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the college basketball edition. Yes, we're back for yet another year. It's Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com and Chad Brendel from BearcatJournal.com. And I'm Richard Skinner from Local 12 and Local12.com as we uh, talk some college basketball, mostly area, but we'll talk a little national stuff. And uh, fellas, welcome back to the podcast, man. It felt like we were never going to have this. And as this season's gone along, I mean, heck, who knows? Maybe next week we'll all three have COVID and we won't be able to do it because that's where this college basketball season's gone. Oh, why wouldn't we be able to do it? We're socially distanced. We're all in that's good call. different places right now. We could do this yeah. again. A very good point, Rick. I like that idea. We may not be able to taste we're, or smell, but we can do it. We're, we're tens of miles from each other right now. Screw six feet. That's a good point. We actually are. We're doing this um, uh, very much at a distant uh, standpoint. We usually we used to do it actually in, uh, in my office at Local 12, but um, we can't let anybody in there these days, it seems like. And the so, interrogation room, as they used to call it. It was. It was the interrogation room. It, it, didn't, have, uh, it didn't have the greatest of sounds. Um, so hopefully the way we're doing this, we'll even have a better sound to it. Uh, fellas, this has got a lot to get to because, um, it's been a while. Um, yeah, I've been, I, I know you have Rick, we've both been a guest when Chad's been doing some stuff on 1530. Uh, you and I have done our, our normal podcast. We had Chad in during the uh, football season, I think before the SMU game, which was a big game, but uh, obviously this whole podcast thing started with us doing a college basketball one. So here we are again. Um, let, let me just start with a simple thing about the, the whole COVID situation. I mean, it's been, it's been fluid. We've seen a bunch of games go off the board, on the board, off the board, on the board. Is this going as well as we could have thought? Is it going worse? Is it going better? The fact that, hey, we just have to roll with the flow at this point. I think it's probably going better than I thought. Um, I, I wasn't sure, you know, the, the way things that look going into November and, and still when you look at the numbers nationally, uh, it seemed like it would be much more of a problem than what we've seen, uh, at least to date. That's that's not to say that it you know isn't right, gonna right. cause bigger problems down the road. But um, I, I do think that football kind of uh, paved a path, kind of showed teams, what, especially in the schools that that have football, um, showed the schools what they the teams what they need to do right uh, in order to kind of to keep things you know, in-house and, and isolated, but still, I mean, all it takes is one, one person getting a fairly contagious, uh, strain. And next thing you know, you're, you're done for two, three weeks. So I, I, they've gotten long, long story short, they've gotten in more than I expected, at least I guess to this point. Rick, how about you? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's the one scary situation with Keontae Johnson at Florida, which we still don't know. All we still, the we still you're right. We don't know. But, you know, there's the possibility that some of that was COVID related, I believe. So that's very scary. But aside from that, I mean, there's really been, to my knowledge, no real serious cases of guys being harmed by the virus. And for the most part, we've played more games than I would have expected. So I think it's gone better than I would have expected. That being said, like, you know, what happened to Keontae Johnson is terrifying. That shouldn't have to happen to any student athletes, you know, if it doesn't have to. So, and, uh, and we officially don't know that it is COVID related, right, but exactly. I mean, it's it, it just, right. If that is, then, you know, that that's terrible. And I would feel horrible about that. But for the most part right now, to the best of our knowledge, I think it's gone pretty well. 
Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I've, no, I've, I've had to deal with it firsthand. Um, you know, my high school basketball season got shut down for three weeks. We restarted. We were about to play a game on Monday, this past Monday. And lo and behold, a kid came to practice and he was not feeling well on a day that I wasn't there. It was nobody's fault, um, but he didn't tell anybody. And um, uh, lo and behold, on Monday, when we get ready to play our game at noon, I'm told we're shut down for the week because he tested positive and had some contact tracing. So, um, you know, I, I, I didn't think I'd have to deal with it. I thought once we'd restart, I'd be fine, but here I am dealing with it and teams have had to deal with it. Um, some, some more than others, some less than others. Obviously DePaul's been a, a, a crazy case. It was a crazy case. Uh, but yeah, I, and, and hopefully, um, you know, the longer we go, the more people get vaccinated, all that stuff. We, we have a March madness. And I, and I guess I'll, I'll go to that next question before we touch on each of the, the area teams. Um, the decision to play in Indy or in the Indy area actually um, seems like a prudent one. And it seems like we're trying to, to, to make this as uh, normal as possible. So um, push comes to shove. It's hard to believe we won't have a March madness, correct? Wherever the heck it's going to be, it's going to be an Indy. I've been saying from the get go, the most certain thing about this college basketball season is that there will be an NCAA basketball tournament at some point, whether but, but we you, play but you this didn't call it, but, at all. Right. But you didn't call it March Madness. So you're, it could even be an April Madness, uh, right? It, okay. That's a fair point. Yes. Right, it could have, right, it could have right. came at any time. It does seem like we're heading towards the normal timeline uh, with it coming in March, but there is no doubt they're going to play a tournament. That is my biggest question I have, though. I mean, looking at the different teams from the power conferences, there are very, very different non-conference schedules that have been played across the board. So how you sort these things out when you get to, you know, the middle of the pack of the Big East versus the middle of the pack of the SEC versus the, you know, the the six, seventh teams in the Big Ten and, and what have you, like that is going to be fascinating to see how they sort all that out. I don't know what the right answer would be. No, I think it's a great segue to you, Chad. And and I was looking this morning at net and I did not find a net number and I did it on an app. So I did not go to the official site for net. So I looked at RPI and there's all kinds of numbers all over the place. That's the thing for me. And I was talking to somebody today. I'm not sure how we do the metrics in a normal circumstance and in a normal way. Do we, I mean, is there a way we can do this normally? Not really. I mean, you've got such small sample sizes in out of conference play. Um, There's no, I don't think there's really a, a fair way to, to judge any of it, but well, well, you know what I think you got to figure it out. You know what I think ends up happening because this is what we've been drifting to more and more is the, the Ken Palm model is probably going to take over because that's the most, I guess, fair thing that we can do right now. Right. It's based on the, the level of competition you've played. It's supposed to be adjusted for that. Now, can that be manipulated? Sure. I think it can, but at the same time, it is the most fair thing we have. And the net, which was what the NCAA has been using the past few years as their overall basic guiding metric, has geared more towards the Ken Palm than it has RPI or anything else. So right. that's my right. guess is we, we stick more closely towards those analytic metrics than anything else this year. But can you imagine a team that's 12 and 6 getting in the NCAA tournament? I guess you can. Yeah. I mean, depending on who the wins are. Rick, right. do, do you think – in these in these models, because you're much more in tune with this than than most, are they are they going to be accurate as designed in 25 games, 26 games? Well, I think in some ways they may be a little bit better than normal because a lot of these teams okay. didn't play as many cupcake games 
as they otherwise yeah. would have. You had a few teams, like, for instance, like take a team like Dayton, you know, they had to schedule NKU at the last second instead right. of a normal buy game that they would have had. Well, that's probably bet. You know, I mean, instead of them playing a team that's ranked like 350th, where they probably could have skewed the metrics more in their favor and they're not very good this year, they only beat NKU by six. And NKU, quite honestly, is a very young team is not all that good this year. So, like, I think that was a more true showing of who Dayton was, and it probably pay- played more true towards their metrics. It's the most fair thing we have because it's supposed to be weighted towards your your strength of schedule. But at the same time, if you don't play any tough teams or you, pl- or you stack your non-conference with a bunch of cupcakes, then I think it's easier to manipulate those metrics as well. So in some ways, I think it may be a little bit more fair than some years. But yeah, at the same time, for some teams like DePaul, it may be a, a more harsh metric than it otherwise would have because they didn't get any of those buy games in the non-conference. It's it's going to be a different case for each team, I think. I'm you know, curious though, DePaul like is DePaul's DePaul. That's what's harsh for DePaul. But well, ahead. yeah, DePaul's go not going to make it, so it doesn't really matter. Right. But yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> I, I'm just curious, like uh, you know, when these things are designed, they're designed to suss out over a certain number of games. So I just don't know, like how it's how it's overly impacted when you're cutting out. I mean, we don't think of it as a sizable chunk, but if you're cutting six games out of a 31 game schedule, like that's a, it's a pretty significant number in terms of if the metric is designed to get to the finish line at 31 and you're cutting it short at 25. That's all I was. But but, but, yeah, but I think, I think that's a good call, but, but, to Rick's point, if yeah, you say five of those are by games, does it really matter? Yeah, I think that adds more noise to the statistic than anything if those games okay. are outlier type performances. So again, I'm not saying your point is wrong. In some cases, it may be no, correct. I- but for the teams that played a fairly normal schedule, but maybe just had three less by games, I think for those teams, it may be a more true reading than it otherwise normally would be. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not making a point. It's more of a question. Just like I right. said, you you have a better understanding of this than most, including me. So that's why I was asking, like how much it's skewed uh, with having those number of games cut off. So, yeah, and again, uh, it's just a case by case basis for a lot of teams. Each, each everyone's kind of in a different spot, but uh, yeah, I think right. pretty much what I've said is is where I'm at on it, and and I'm by no means like an expert on uh, uh, certainly not in math and certainly not in analytics. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm guessing just like you guys are, but that's kind of my basic read on it right now. Yeah, All right, let's start with Xavier with a, uh, a a really incredible win. They looked dead in the water with about a minute to go today against Providence and came back and won. Uh, Colby Jones with the big three from the top of the key and and certainly an emotional day for him because he was playing with his grandfather having just passed away. Uh, Rick, they've stolen a couple games out of the fire. And I think I, I think on the podcast we did uh, either this past week or the week before, I think I told you it feels like Xavier's like seven and five or six and five. And you look up and they're ten and two. Um, th- I guess the thing is, this feels like these are games this team would have lost last year. Maybe stuff evens out and maybe we don't account for as much luck or fortune or um, the right guy shooting the right shot at the right time, but um, right or wrong. um, They, they, they weren't great today, but they still won the game. Yeah. I don't feel that way at all. I feel like it's a completely different team and they're winning these close games because they're a different team than they were last year. You know, you look to the last few plays of this game, that won it for them where, you know, they had gone down. I think it was a 10 0 run by Providence in the final two oh, minutes. Yeah, that- no, there, there were, there were three possessions in a row. And I texted our, 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 our friend, Mark Jusak, our boss. I, I said, that's three terrible possessions. Kunkel took a terrible three. Kunkel threw the ball away. And then Scruggs took a terrible three. And I said, they deserve to lose a game. And yet they fought back from that. 
Well, yeah. And then after that, though, there's the IQ of Nate Johnson hits a deep three off just a simple yep. screen, which, you know, it didn't take much to. But the next play, Steele says, hey, they're going to overplay that. Come up like you're setting that same screen. And then right. Freeman will slip to the middle of the floor. They read yep. it. They play ten, it perfectly. Right. He gets a mid-range jumper. Now it's only a two-point game. You execute that end-of-game situation, which you needed Colby Jones, a freshman who hasn't proven to be a three-point shooter, to hit a game-winning three-pointer. But you also needed... Every, I mean, three different guys. Kunkel made a play that they'd used a, a few times throughout the game. He made a perfect read, an incredible pass yes. in the corner to Scruggs. Then Scruggs had the confidence to say, I'm not going to take, as as the senior leader of this team, a contested I'm not going to take a contested two to tie this game. I'm going to kick it to my freshman who read the play perfectly and got himself to the open spot, and I'm going to kick it to him for a game-winning three. And that, like... You don't get that a lot. It very easily could have been a Paul Scruggs contested two. He wasn't playing all that well. He may have missed it, and the game's over. Instead, he kicks to Colby Jones. He gets wide open three, and that may that could have missed six out of right. ten times, whatever you That's have right. you, but That's right. he happened right. to make that one. You know, he happened to make that one, and so – it worked out perfectly. The play was designed perfectly. And I think that's the difference between last year having a team that really wasn't able to read those situations, didn't have IQ, wasn't in sync with each other, and didn't want to share the ball in those situations. It's a Najee Marshall. Maybe he makes the shot, which, in fairness to him, last year he made several of those late-game type shots. So he he could have done something on his own as well. But this year I think you just have more guys who are high IQ players who are willing to share the ball. And I think that aids them in late game situations. And I think the other big takeaway for me in this game was the fact that, you know, they were eight of 23 from three. That's 34.8%. It's not bad. It's uh decent. I don't think it's good for how this team is yeah. built. I think you want Providence to shoot was 13 a- of 20. Yeah. And Providence was 13 of 22, <laughs> right? You caught them on an outlier performance, which is a really tough thing to deal with defensively. But from an offensive perspective, I think you saw that just good enough is, is enough for this team to win from a three-point shooting perspective. And I didn't know if that would be the case. Like, a few weeks ago, we saw them beat Oklahoma. We saw them mar- beat Marquette. They made all those threes and barely won those games. I was wondering, what happens when they have a decent shooting performance? Can they win Big East games? And, you know, now they've proven a few times that, hey, maybe they can. Even when they're not shooting the ball well, they can do enough defensively, enough in terms of the other things that need to be done, in, like defensive rebounding, which they're not great at, to come away with some of these close wins. And I know some people look at it and say, look, Providence at home is a must-win game. If you would have lost, that would have been a terrible loss. At the same time, like, the, the Big East is so jumbled up from 2 to 10 any game is losable and any game is winnable. So anytime you come out with a win and the other team made 13 threes and shot 60% from beyond the arc, you're going to take it. I thought the last set was brilliant because I thought it gave them multiple options. It gave them Kunkel coming downhill. And if, if the defender doesn't help, he makes a left-handed layup and they tie it. And then he decides, nope, I got contested and I got my guy here for my next read. And you're right. And then Scruggs went, no, here's my next read. And that's just good basketball. That was just good. That was a great set. Yeah, I put a video up on uh, my Twitter. I'm not sure if you saw it, Skinny, where they had ran that play at least five times. I may have missed one or two when I was skimming through. But uh, like one of the first possessions of the game, they got a layup for Colby Jones. And it was clear that the idea of that whole play right there was to get Nate Johnson, or I mean, Nate Watson, excuse me, the center for Providence in a switch. He's very right. good offensively, but if they're going to leave a true center on the court in this day and age, Xavier's game plan was to make them pay for him being on the court defensively and not being very quick. So they put him in those dribble handoff situations and made him guard guys flying off the wing. A few times it was Colby Jones. A lot of the times it was Adam Kunkel. That that final play, it worked to perfection. And, and, and again, I mean, the thing about it was David Duke, their 
star player who scored 30 points made a tremendous read on the play. He, he knew what was coming. He expected Kunkel to come drive and he came and double teamed him and took the drive away from him. Right. And Kunkel and, just and, made an unbelievable say, if, pass. If, if, yeah. Right. If he, if he doesn't do that, Kunkel makes a left-handed layup and we're in overtime and who knows what happens. Right. I mean, it was, a, I mean, he, yeah. he was downhill in a hurry. I think we're selling short how incredible the final five minutes of this game was. Yeah. Good point. It was because fun to watch. It, it was a close game. Xavier goes on in, I think, an 11-2 to two run to seemingly take control. Providence answers with an 11-0 run, and they're what? Up by six or seven? Set, up point? by seven. To, 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 to use your just phrase, to seemingly take control. Right. And it was like, okay, you went from, all right, Xavier's gonna about to put this thing on ice to Providence is going to run away with this game in the final three minutes. To Xavier just won? Like, the swings of momentum, you usually see those spread out over, like, 10 minutes, 8 minutes, 10 minutes, where there's three wild swings like that. Kind of like you see, kind of like you see, yeah, kind of like you see, which we'll talk about here shortly, because they they had some wild swings of momentum. But yeah, no, yeah, I I did. Yeah, I think we'll get to them in a second. (laughs) But no, I think that's a good that's a good point. Um, It was fun to watch. It was I think it was great to watch. I know uh, for I've got two really good friends that are huge Xavier fans and Rick covers them. And I didn't call Rick. I called my friend who's a used to be a Xavier season ticket holder until this year because of what's going on with COVID. He was dying. He's like, you got to hang up because you're always ahead of me and you're going to tell me what happened. It's going to be bad. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to jinx it. You're fine. I get it. Uh, It's all good. He was he was he was dying slow deaths. And when he called me at the end, he said, I still don't know how they won that game. And, um, you know, occasionally in the season, you got to do that. You got to find a way to win. So because this is it's our first episode of the year and I haven't been able to workshop any of like these theories or anything that you I'm thinking about as the season is developing. Let me throw this out to you guys, because, Chad, it was it was a big talking point on this podcast a few years ago when, you know, you had the Trayvon Blewett, J.P. Makira led team that was winning a lot of close games late. You know, yeah. and, and you kept bringing up the luck statistic, right? That we talked about from Ken Palm that talked about late game. And Xavier was like statistically not in good situations in a lot of these games, but they are finding ways to win close games, even sometimes against bad teams, right? And I mean, I think mm-hmm. like Georgetown that year, they won in overtime on a, on a tough shot by Trayvon Blewett. So those are the, what I'm talking about here. And then I, I've compared this team to that team sometimes, and I don't think they have the same upside. Like they're not going to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament or anything like that. That's not my point. But in the way that they're built, they have more high IQ players. They have shooters who can shoot at times, but are streaky and inconsistent, but they have a lot of confidence in themselves. And they kind of have that seemingly like, it's okay if the other team goes on a 10-0 run right now because we're on the verge of a 15-0 run on the other side of that attitude about everything. Like, it doesn't bother them. Like you were talking about, Chad. I mean, Providence had that game in hand. They go up by seven with a minute to play and Xavier comes right back at him. Like it was in yeah. the works the whole time. And, and, it was, and the funny thing is it wasn't like Providence there to you guys. Cause I, like that's well, been my thing the whole time is I think this team is built in a similar way. They're not as talented. They're younger, but I think they have some of the same qualities there and some of the same deficiencies that that team had. Here's what I would say on that front, Rick, the difference being, you knew when that Xavier team, like who, who was going to do it, where it was coming from. Right. Like, yeah, they were going it, to it was going to be Trayvon. It was going to be or it's going to be JP playing right. off of him. This team, I mean, we've seen Kunkel hit a step back bomb. Jones hits the big one today. What we haven't seen is Freemantle. 
<laughs> the Scruggs took over late against Cincinnati. I, I'll give him that. Like, it wasn't a game-winning shot, but he exerted his will on that game in the final three minutes against Cincinnati. But other than that, it's been – Game winner, too, late, early in the year. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Good point. Yeah. 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 Nate Johnson's made some clutch plays late in games. Like, this has been really spread out. It hasn't been one dude. So, what I would say to your question is, I think they have a lot of the same irrational confidence. It's just nine guys instead of two. If yeah. that makes any sense. No, no, yeah, I, I, I think, think that's right. a good point. And, and, but like, I don't think that necessarily makes them like better than that. No, team. it's just again, different. they're not going to be a one seed, but yeah, like they have some, there's something that's the same about the way they play the the way they approach the game. It's, it's almost like a nonchalant attitude in some ways, but it's like, a lot of times I think it benefits them. I, I think it's a good thing more often than not. I mean, in basketball, I'm a big fan of irrational confidence because it like, <laughs> as long as you're not shooting like 14% from three, like irrational confidence isn't a bad thing because it just means like you think, and you truly believe there's a bucket to be had and, and I'm, I'm going get to it. go have it. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's I like it. that. That's a great point. I mean, I, I think you do have to have that for, for goodness sakes. Um, Rick, um, Kiki Tandy does not play today. Where, where do we stand with that? Look, like I, people who have been following the way we cover this stuff for a long time understand. I'm not quick to jump on innuendo and rumors and read into social media posts or I'm, body I'm, language I'm not, on the I'm side of the court or anything. I'm not asking. I'm not but, asking you. To, I'm just asking but, where look, do we stand with it. Uh, well, I mean, they hit a game winner today. He doesn't react, period. After the game, he deletes everything related to Xavier from his social media profiles. Yeah. What do you want? What What am I supposed to infer from that? Like, right. no, you can tell exactly. me to be a journalist and keep, until anything's official, but like, what do you want me to say to that? It's pretty obvious what's going on here. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know anything. No one's told me anything behind the scenes. I'm not holding out on anybody, but at the no, same no, no, time, no, I understand. It's pretty obvious. Like, a guy has looked like he doesn't want to be a part of the team the whole season. He doesn't get up with his teammates he doesn't celebrate anything you hit a freaking game winner like today and, and just on a person everything related to xavier off of social media profiles so right and just on a personal level probably know what kobe jones was going through you can at least go up to him and go man that was awesome you I mean, think right or wrong right exactly you think on a human level maybe right something right. be a part I, I yeah i mean it's just it's a tough situation like i i don't ever want to rip on kids and read into body language and stuff like that but at a certain point there it's not about like people being unfair to you. There is a certain level that is just the requisite you have to do to be a part of the team. No, I agree with and that. And act I, like you care. And he, and I, I mean, I, quite honestly, he just hasn't done that. I think I told you on Wednesday, I think you're at the stage after the way he reacted during the middle of the week and the way he reacts today. It's just, you know what? You don't want to be here. Go, just go. Cause you're not going to play anyway. Um, yeah, I, will, I, got, I do have to say though. I, I So someone tells me, Hey, he deleted everything all, uh, relating to Xavier off his social media profiles tonight. So I go to his Twitter page and I check it and you know, I don't know what it used to say. It probably used to say something about like point guard at Xavier university or whatever. Right, it right, now right. just says PG. Ah, PG PG. He's just a point P guard. A it should be just guard now. <laughs> I say PG. Really for, likes, it should say PG for hire. Yeah. He really likes Paul George. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. what it is. Exactly. Paul George fan, who knows? We shouldn't speculate, I guess. But I mean, what else are we supposed <laughs> to do? You know, I mean, good, come good on. point. Good point. Um, lastly, on the Xavier front, Ben Stanley gets hurt this week. Um, I, I, I don't want. I want to phrase this the right way because I probably screwed it up on TV tonight when I did it. Um, I don't want to say addition by subtraction because he'd been playing really well. Um, and yeah, he'd not been at all. That. For them. 
Well, no, I'll, I'll yeah, say it like I, this. He, he's a luxury piece. He was a luxury piece, and you were trying right, to figure out how to right. fit him into the rotation that was already right. crowded. Thank you. That because I, I wish I'd have said that better than I said it on TV tonight. Because that's kind of what that's kind of what I meant by that. And I kind of quickly backtracked. It just it felt like the rotation has been out of whack. And I get it because you got a bunch of parts and you didn't have November buy games to fit pieces in. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying it as a coach. <laughs> I get it. I mean, you're trying to go, okay, I got all these little pieces. How am I fitting them into the puzzle? And now you get to take one out and go, okay, well, now I don't even have that to mess with. I've got the rest I can do. Um I hate to say this, it might make the rotation at least simpler. I don't want to say better, so that's that's probably the better way to say it. it. Makes it simpler for Travis Steele. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you just give yourself a little more time with certain guys, right? And then there's also the situation with CJ Wiltshire. Like he wasn't able to find the court today. You're able to get him in there because Ben Stanley is Deontay Miles, and he hits two threes. So, you know, I mean, that's a guy that might even be able to help you in the same manner that Ben Stanley was able to help you, which is instant offense off the bench. And you weren't even able to get him on the court when you had Ben Stanley in the rotation. So that might be a guy that you're able to keep around for several years now in your program. That's going to be a big time contributor that may have looked elsewhere and just said, if I can't get on the court here, I'm done with, you know, with the way the current transfer portal situation is. So I think. Again, I agree. It's not addition by subtraction because Ben Stanley was good enough that the first day that he was eligible, Travis Steele found a way to get him a couple wars on the court. You know, he played two different four-minute segments in each half. So it's like they wanted to get him on the court as soon as possible. They definitely thought he was going to help them, and he showed the ability to provide them some instant offense. But, yeah, I think it does make some things simpler in terms of figuring out your rotations, and it was a situation where you do have a lot of offensive pieces, and – so far he hadn't given you a ton of rebounding or much defense. And those are kind of the two areas where you need a little more help off the bench. That's so right. that's right. I, I, it's not a, it's not a terrible loss for Xavier. It is really tough for Ben Stanley. You know I mean? Yeah, no doubt. It, it just, it just sucks the way it all played out and the timing of all of this. And he's an older guy too. So it kind of just delays everything a little bit longer for him. Yeah. All right, Chad, you ready? We're moving on to UC where, um, so how about we- Kentucky? <laughs> Uh, we'll get to Kentucky. Play, we'll get to Kentucky. really well. Yeah, we'll get. We're gonna get to Kentucky, but we're gonna get to UC first. Rick, Rick, what's, I'm <laughs> I'm been keeping up with NKU. Like, what's uh, what's going on? Do you want to talk have, about? I'll tell you what, Chad. Do you want to talk about UCLA because they're actually doing I, I really well. I was gonna well. say, Chad. Chad seems to be more of a UCLA guy these days. I, I watched about the final three minutes of that game. It was a, it was interesting. Hey, I, I don't mean, think either team looked very good in those final three minutes. I, I will tell you though, you go win on a weekend at Arizona and Arizona State, and they're nine and two and five and zero oh in the league. That's pretty good, boys. It's both pretty of, good. Both of both of my uh, crew in Los Angeles managed the uh, the sweep in in Arizona this weekend. Who's your other crew? His crew. Your family? No, the athletic director at USC. Oh, that crew. That crew. I didn't know that was part of your crew. I know you got a crew. I didn't realize that was part of your crew, it was, though. It was. It was. Sorry. In, in Jess, I'm. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. So let's <laughs> let's talk about UC. Um, I don't no. think anybody believed that the SMU win was a was a turn the corner moment. It was a good moment, and they needed it desperately because they were hemorrhaging. And they probably still are. So, was that a one off, Chad? In your opinion, or is that no. closer to where this team could be? It's closer to where they could be. I don't know that it's fully closer to where they, they Will are be, yet. Yeah. Right. I mean, look, the people that have proven to matter for this team uh, are mostly young. Keith Williams has, has been better than people give him credit for. I, I think 
But he's not a dude. He's not a dude. No. Well, but skinny. He's not a dude, but he's still scoring 15 points a game. He's top 10 in the conference in scoring. So while he's not a dude, and you'll and that's agree what everybody with that, right? wanted him to be. Yeah, I fully okay. agree with that. Okay. But my point being, while he's not what everybody wanted him to be, this like uh, bipolar swing from, you know, he's he's not what the best case scenario was. He hasn't been terrible. I mean, it's no, being made no, out it, like he's terrible. No, and I think I think I actually I think Rick and I have talked about that. I, I I just don't think he's just. I mean, some guys are alphas, some guys aren't, and it's okay if you're not. You are what you are. He just isn't. He is. He is a very good two way secondary wing. Yes, that scores in a in in a couple specific ways. He's very good in transition, although he hasn't been as good uh, of late than he than he usually is, because I think he's trying to force some things. Um, and he scores on the right side of the floor, playing downhill to the rim. When you get him at the top of the key, he does not come off a high ball screen well. He does not come off of a high or a side ball screen on the left side well. Uh, I mean, Rick probably has the the numbers from Synergy on this, um, but. He is predominantly a guy that is built to score in the half court on the right side of the floor. And they're trying to use them all over. They're trying to use them in, in ISO stuff at the end of the game at the top of the key. And it's just not something he's good at, like, especially with nobody else that can shoot around him. Right. So everybody's packed in the lane and keeps trying to, to make things happen that Things that Jaron Cumberland could do because Jaron Cumberland had could, such a thick frame and because he'd get downhill and get to the rim, right? Because you couldn't stop him unless right. you took a charge, right? The other Keith doesn't have that is, in his game. The other secret there is Jaron's handle was better than Keith's is. Oh he, yeah, way better. Keith way better. doesn't. Keith doesn't have a tight enough handle to get into tight spaces and, and make plays for you, especially when Chad, you, you hit the nail on the head right there. There's not shooters around him. So it's the exact same thing Xavier dealt with last year. Everyone is right. just contracting their defense. They're not, you can run every action in the world. John Brandon could be the most brilliant coach in America and draw up every X's and O's you want at the end of a game, but no one's going to guard it right now because you can't make a three pointer. They can't shoot. There's no shooters to guard. So you just contract everything. You stack bodies in front of Keith Williams or whoever you expect to get the ball. And it's a lot easier to stop you. It's the same exact thing that like Najee Marshall dealt with last season. So Rick, here, here's a, here's a pretty good example. They shot 29% from three today. Their average went up. Yeah, it did. That's funny. It, it, they were 26 <laughs> going in or 24 going in. No, they jumped it up to like 27, 28 after the SMU. After the SMU game. Okay. All right. You're right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, that, that that's almost impossible. And I know John and, and Chad, I know John's talked about they they chart it in practice and they're shooting in practice. And I know it's different. I'm not I'm not I'm not poking fun at John, but so, bottom line is they don't shoot it well in games. So how how else you create offense? So they have a bunch of guys that should be I, I think Rick would agree with this. They have a bunch of guys that should be somewhere between like 33 and 37% from three. Probably. Like, nobody that's like uh, you know, a 42% three-point shooter. All of those guys are shooting somewhere between 25 and 12% from three. Which is so crazy. Well, I think, Chad, I think that's the big question is, do we know that there are guys that should shoot that percentage? Or are is that what these guys – because, like, honestly, I think 
Jeremiah Davenport shooting above what I would have expected at this point. So he, it's like he's the one. Well, imagine where their numbers would be without him. Exactly. So it's like, cool. I mean, David DeJulius, I would think is a better shooter than what he's shown. He's the one guy, but it's like Mike Adams Woods to me. That's a question mark. I really don't know the answer to that that question. Well, he goes out against SMU and he hits four or five and he shot 37% last year. I don't think he's like a, a, a total knockdown guy. Yeah. But he, he should be 33%, not 25, right? Like, Fair. yeah. Um, th- that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying they have a bunch of good shooters. I'm saying they have a bunch of average to maybe slightly below average yeah, shooters d- that yeah, are all d- shooting horribly. Dude, as we know, I mean, back in the day when the three-point shot came into play, you were hoping, if I'm a 33% shooting team on threes, that's better than being a two-point shooting team. And it's obviously gone up. And when you're at this level, I'd almost say, you know what? I I, I know Dan D'Antoni loves the three, right? He loves the analytics of the three. I'd almost say, you know what? The hell with the three. Go back to the mid-range game because you can't shoot it. Yeah, I don't know that you can shoot from the mid-range game either when you're not making the three because even the mid-range game then is guarded too. Yeah, maybe. But something has to change. Uh, what, what's what's happened to Chris Vote, Chad? I mean, pretty clearly he's lost all com- or it lost all confidence. The funny thing was seeing that come back a little bit today, because for three games, four games, man, like it was like somebody took his soul out of his body because he and just today, had no belief in anything. Yeah, and today you got the two early fouls, and I thought, okay, back in the hole. Fifty-five seconds, two fouls. Yep, and then. Uh, over the next eight minutes that he plays, and, and most in the second half, he scores seven points. He gets six rebounds. Uh, he has a couple of decent possessions on defense, and it was all of a sudden like life returned to his body. Like he had the one thing he hasn't been able to do on all season, or at least over the last like five games. He ducked in, he pinned a guy on his ass, got the ball, turned around and put it in the bucket. Like that's what he did last year. He what there wasn't a, a some magic touch that he's lost other than he was able to get position. They threw him the ball when he got position. He turned around and he put it in the basket. Like I, I just I think it's a culmination of over like four or five games. He got pushed around, and, and I don't think he would probably tell you this. Like he wasn't fighting hard enough for position. I think he was relying on uh, I'm seven foot. So just throw me the ball right, and I'll, right. I'll get it in into the basket. And teams were, again, it's that difference from when he came in last year, he wasn't on anybody's scouting report. By the end of last year, the scouting report was out. Sure. Get physical with him, get him off the block, get him out to about 12 feet because he doesn't have that 12-footer to really consistently, you know, knock down. And that's what's happened. And he hasn't been able to get the ball at like at, at six feet. When he gets the ball at six feet, you're pretty confident he's going to find a way to get it in the rim. And he had lost so much confidence that even in those games where he got it at six feet, he would throw it at the rim like he had never played basketball before. I mean, it was just all confidence was completely gone. And he was turning it over uh, at a ridiculous rate every time he was coming in the game. He gets picked on for his defense, but his defense is what it is. He's never going to be a guy that's going to be fleet of foot chasing guards down the lane and spanking shots off the rim when they get past him. Like, he doesn't have that ability in his game. So, you know, it's um, it was good to at least see a little bit of life from him today where he got a little pep back in his step. Uh, and, and it's going to be up to John now that he's kind of committed to this playing more small 
Right. Chris he, is going to because because he started for those he started small today because Chris didn't start the last two games. He's right. Tari Eason has started at the five. Jeremiah Davenport has started at the four. Um, so it, you're looking at a situation right now where it looks like Chris is going to get ten to fifteen minutes a game. If he can give them seven points and six rebounds in those ten to fifteen minutes a game, that, that's perfect. He's filling his role. Yeah, you're right. It's perfect. It's probably a better role for him than. 25 minute a game starter, uh, at least the way he's playing right now. When I've been watching this team, the one thought I've had is how much I probably underrated Trey Scott last year and overrated yeah. Jaron Cumberland when they made their run at the end of the year. Watching Chris vote this year and the issues they've had with the four and five position, how much did you realize that? That, like, man, Trey Scott really covered a lot of flaws from last year's team. Uh, Trey Scott was a guy that was putting up 2020 games towards the end of the year last year. So uh, I figured filling that void was going to be um, very difficult. I think the leadership was probably vastly understated the void that he left, because that was a guy that was willing to say, look, not only to like yell at guys in the huddle, right. But willing to go out there and, and get six rebounds in a row and say, like, I'm not letting us lose. They have not had anybody this year that is, has stepped up and said, I'm not letting us lose. I will say, Chad, the only guy I can think of, and, and he's not good enough to do it, is Jeremiah Davenport. He's tried. I mean, he right. hasn't been that right. guy late in games. He's been right. that guy uh, in the middle of games. Uh, I think David DeJulius has tried to be that guy at yeah. times late in games, but he's, he's just not getting the ball in the basket right now. So... That's gone south. Keith's inconsistency and foul trouble has been a major deal. Chris not really having that defined role that he did on last year's team. Because, again, you go back and look. You had Jaron. You had Keith. You had Trey. So even in that stretch in the beginning of the year where Chris was playing like one of the better players on the team, it was because teams couldn't focus on Chris Vogt. And you had Javen. When Javen was in the game, you had, a guy shots. Right, right, right. you had a guy that could slash, you had a playmaker, and you had a do-it-all kind of, you know, combo forward type. And Chris was kind of the fifth guy that fit into that. He, They tried to force him into that role of being number one or number two, and that's – he's not suited for that. So Trey masked a lot of that, um, and, and this team would kill to have a, a Trey Scott – you know, there when they're in these games, there's today, I guess you could count. Um, even though the, 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 the final score was six, this was a game they were down 16 with six right, minutes yeah, left. Right, 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 right. This game in Georgia, you can kind of toss out all of the other games were one score games within three minutes. And they just haven't had that guy to carry him across the finish line. And, you know, get old, stay old, right? That's what that's what you want to do. Well, th this team is uh, this team is very young, and uh, the the pieces as we're finding out, Zach Harvey is emerging, Tari Eason's emerging, Jeremiah Davenport is emerging. That's two sophomores and a freshman that are right up there with Keith as your four best players on the team. It's not a great recipe for winning games against teams that have a lot of experience. No, 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 no question. All right, let's get to Kentucky. Um, one and six going into SEC play three and zero in SEC play. Um, the first two wins were ugly. 
Um, Dante Allen bailed them out on a couple of those. And this past week, Keon Brooks comes back or past Saturday, rather Keon Brooks comes back and is really good and does a lot of fundamental things. And they blow Georgia out on the road. Is this Kentucky figuring it out? Is this the SEC is not very good? Is it a combination of both? I'll start with you, Rick. Yeah, it's the combination of both of those two things, I think, Skinny. But we we had talked about it for a while. What difference would Keon Brooks make? Because it just felt like huge. Team, you, you couldn't play those two bigs together. They're, they're both good players, but together with the offensive issues you had and the lack of shooting, it just clogged things up way too much. So what could Keon Brooks offer you from an IQ standpoint, a skill standpoint? And I mean, he comes out, he goes six for six from a right. two-point range. He misses he a ridiculous. couple of threes, but he dishes out four assists in that game. He had 12 points. He gave you exactly what you were hoping your four-man might be able to give you when he came back. And by the way, you in the meantime, you also figured out the Dante Allen thing that we've talked about, which gives you another shooter, which you desperately needed. I'm not going to say this Kentucky team is one of the best in the country by any stretch of the imagination, but they have definitely figured some things out and they are absolutely a threat. And if they find a way into the NCAA tournament skinny, it's going to be just like they've always been. You certainly don't want to find them as like an eight, nine or a 12 seed or anything like that, because they are going to be very dangerous. No, I think that's right. I mean, if you look back, I mean, the Louisville game is a one possession, two possession game. The Kansas game is a one possession, two possession game. I'm probably missing another one somewhere along the way. And and granted, I, I've told you, I don't think this is a very good team. I think it's a good, it's a better team now today than it's ever been. And I think some of it is the SEC is not very good, but I think you're right on that regard. And and Chad, I'll turn to you on that regard. I mean, I I don't know where they go. They play Alabama on. Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm drawing a blank. So that's a big game. Tuesday. Play at Auburn. Yeah, Tuesday. Thank you. Um, so they've got it. That's a big test. Alabama's not lost in the league. Um, but still, I mean, you go to Florida and just do what you just did. Um, that's a pretty good statement to go, hey, we're back. Here we are. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to say on UC that I didn't get. Yeah. In. Sorry. ECU, Tulane, and uh, Temple, the next three. Confidence. You, you don't go three and zero. You got problems. Correct. That's a confidence. You, that's you, a good call. You go three and zero. Maybe we're having a little bit different conversation. You know, in two weeks on this show. Um, the thing with Kentucky, I, I, they just they look completely different with Keon Brooks on the field. No question. Like he, that, that, he was really a, good. I, I was surprised. Well, I mean, he's really good, and there's a calming influence. It's a veteran guy. Um, it's a guy that I, I think knows and understands what is he's being just, asked of him. Dude, he's just fundamentally sound. Right. I hate to say it like that, but he just is. Well, that, and that's what I'm saying in terms of like, he knows what Cal wants him to do. He knows what, he knows what his mission is when he gets on the floor, which when you watch Kentucky through the first part of the season, they didn't have that. Like what was Terrence Clark, the point guard was Devin Askew the point guard, right? Who did they want the ball in the hands of? They didn't have anybody can shoot. Their bigs were okay at times, but not great. Like there, there wasn't anything in in long stretches that that gave you any confidence in anything that Kentucky was doing. And now you've got a shooter on the wing mm-hmm. that that's a mismatch problem. Greatest thing to come out of Pendleton County since uh, Talbert Turner. Okay. Do you know okay. Talbot Turner, Turner is? Did, was he on the, the bowling league that you used to do color commentary for? No, no, he was not. Talbot Turner actually averaged 40 points per game. He played at Moorhead State, believe it or not. Okay. 
Okay. Albert Turner. There you go. All right. But uh, he, Allen is giving you shooting. Brooks is giving you kind of leadership and identity that this team didn't have. And all of a sudden, it feels like the pieces are starting to make sense. Like, like things are fitting in far better than they did at the beginning of the season. I, I think Kentucky is a perfect example of what was taken away from younger teams this offseason. Right. Well, you had no chance to have practices, a normal offseason. You know what I think right, right, Buy games, all that stuff. Just as important as all of that, you had no chance to run open gym with your guys. Right. Where your guys are just playing and getting to, like, understand each other and really getting a feel for, okay, this is what that guy does well. This is what this guy does well. It's not – Open gym is kind of a, you know, laughed at um, because it's not structured. What It's not real, quote unquote, real basketball, but it is a good chance for guys to get a grasp of who they're playing with, what they do, what, what their strengths are. Well, that's where the alphas emerge are. too. Right. Yeah. That's where the dude that says it's 11 to 10 and we're getting this bucket to get the hell out of here because I'm ready to get back to my dorm. Those things don't emerge in an offseason like this. <clears throat> I, I, Kentucky didn't get any of that. You know, they're, they're young. Cincinnati didn't get any of that. They're young. Uh, we're seeing it with Duke, who has, a, you know, a young team. Um, we're seeing it some with Xavier, a, a team that isn't necessarily young, but has a lot of new pieces that they're trying to, you know, figure out who fits where. And Xavier is, has – been fortunate enough that they have made shots at the end of games to keep the line moving. Right. Kentucky didn't do that. Cincinnati didn't do that. And that's where it kind of sets in that, like, you know, the teams that came back with an older core were far better prepared for this than the teams that, I mean, Cincinnati football, right? That was a veteran team with, with seniors and redshirt seniors and, and, and juniors all up and down the roster, they were ready for what this, this challenge presented. Young teams just – there's so much of a fight uphill as you're trying to catch up to where, you know, a lot of these teams are probably right now where they would want to be, like, going into December. And we're no, I, in heading into the middle of January. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, for Kentucky, honestly, if you win the Kansas game and you win the Louisville game – Right. Um, it's a different narrative. It's just a completely different narrative. Um, and that's why did, that's where didn't. that's where I give Xavier credit. They've hit those shots. You know, if Xavier misses a couple shots in that opening MTE, no question. And 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 Kunkel misses the step back three, we're having a different conversation on Xavier. They're seven and but, six. But Xavier hit those shots. Credit to them. They did what they ever that they had to do. Kentucky hasn't hit those shots. Cincinnati hasn't hit those shots. So now the, the, the conversation about those teams becomes much different and it shines much more of a light on trying to work through, you know, the, the challenges that were presented this year where there was basically no summer um, and a lot, uh, no strength conditioning through a lot of that, that portion of the summer. And then once school started, you didn't get the ramp up to practices and, you know, the, the workouts and everything that, that you normally get. So Kentucky was challenged, and they were challenged. Look, we would be having different conversation about Kentucky if Keon Brooks was there from day one. 
I, because I, they I, had I, a guy. I, and I wouldn't have believed that, though. I would not have believed. I, I, I know what you're saying, and I agree with you now. I would not have believed that because I did. He, he's not a difference maker, in my opinion. But he's been. Well, but, but he's Trey Scott. He's a leader. No, that's he's fair. He's a guy that they look up to. He's a guy that 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 like we just talked about. He knows his role. He knows exactly what's asked of him. He's a soldier. He's going to go out there and do what Cal asks him to do every night, and that that makes them different than they were and he stuck and around was, and he yeah. stuck around so he yeah. knew what it's all about and, and that, no your point's right i wouldn't have believed that is my point i would have not well, be- you should believe me more skinny i probably should <laughs> yeah. it's a good call it's a good call i we've, I we've always be- seen that those second year guys really make a big difference for kentucky but at the same yeah. time skinny the other side of this was just that Keon made them fit so much better together. Yes. They needed a no, guy with a little no bit doubt. of skill that spaced the floor better than putting the two centers on the floor at the same time. And guess what? And knows how to play. The one thing that yesterday showed is you're like, damn, he knows how to play. Yeah, they, right they have a low IQ team. And, Correct. And he's he's a high IQ player. Correct. He knows how to play. I mean, as, as a coach, I love that guy. I just never saw that guy last year. So I didn't believe that, okay, he's going to make a big difference. Eh, baloney. No, I... Yesterday was a big difference, and some of it is Florida was not very good, but a lot of it was Kentucky was way better. And um, you know, they, Mississippi they kicked State, Florida's ass. They kicked their ass. You're right. I mean, they completely kicked their ass. You know, Florida or uh, Vandy and uh, and Mississippi State. Yeah, okay, you got lucky. Good for you. You won a couple games. You pulled it out of the fire, and maybe you needed that just to get confidence. But yesterday was holy cow. Who in the league is better than them? We'll find out this that, week with Alabama, that, maybe. Maybe you know, Alabama. that's a good question, though. I mean, that, that's that's the thing about it. When you see Kentucky play like that, you all of a sudden look around the rest of the SEC and you go, okay, you got Tennessee, better. you got Alabama, but like, I mean, is Kentucky right back in contention for the, the conference? I think they might oh, be. Well, the, the, the Bama game is for first place in the conference, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Correct. So as bad as this has been, they have a game this week. For first place in the SEC. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy to think about. It's completely but crazy to think when, about. When did he sneak in Camp Cal and we didn't know? Or was it the uh, tweak? Like, what, what happened? What happened? The, no, what happened was Keon Brooks came back. That's what happened, bro. <laughs> that was the tweak. That was the tweak. <laughs> crazy. Just crazy. Uh, Rick, I'm going to let you give a few seconds on NKU. Disappointing weekend at Cleveland State. And apparently they're really good because if I'm getting look at that right, they've not lost. They are undefeated. Right? Yeah, they, they are 8-0 in conference play. That's crazy. Is it Dennis Felton still coaching up there? Uh, Dennis Gates. Dennis Gates, rather. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 So, That's two different things. They are two different things. I'm sorry. I was thinking Dennis Felton. <laughs> um, Threw me off for Dennis, a second. Dennis, Dennis Felton was the Western Kentucky Georgia coach. So yes. That's what I was thinking. Yep. So um, what do you take away from this weekend? Was it disappointing? Was it that just a better team? Was NKU – Still a class away from getting back to the mountaintop. Where are we at with that? Well, night one was really disappointing. I mean, honestly, they just couldn't make a shot, period. And you can complain about offense. You can complain about shot selection. You can complain about the defense wasn't tight enough early when Cleveland State got on a big run and, and built up an 18-point lead in the first half, which NKU fought their way back from and had it down to eight late in the second half. Like, I mean, was legitimately back in the game, sort of. But to score 44 points to shoot the the putrid percentages that they did from the field and from beyond the arc that's where it's just like it, this gets tough to watch it sometimes because you are relying on freshmen for so much of your offense the second night 
they fought. They played hard. They did everything they needed to do. Uh, they were a shot away from, you know, sending it back to a second overtime. They went into one overtime. They had another look at the buzzer to send it into a second overtime that didn't go off a, a brilliant full court play called by Darren Horn. I, I thought that was a good representation of who they are. It seems like they're just not quite what a Cleveland State is. And Cleveland State isn't the best team in the conference, but they are experienced. They're tough. Guys know their roles and they get everything out of their amount of talent and ability level because they play really hard and they, they have great chemistry. NKU has young guys. They, they don't exactly know who they are yet. And they're, they're trying to get to a point where Cleveland state is at. Like if that game was played I don't know February 5th or something like that, I think it might be a different outcome to be quite honest with you. I think catching Cleveland state later in the year would be beneficial this year. All right, so does this NKU team have a chance to um, make a run in the conference tournament when push comes to show? I think they do. I mean, Wright State is the one team who outclasses everybody kind of metrics-wise. They're in the top 100 right now if you look at Ken Palm. Did that hurt? No, I mean, it's it's been that way, and NKU was at the top looking down on them for the last few years. So, I mean, you know, we knew it was going to be a rebuilding season this year. Uh, if you if you had followed this program closely. So the fact that NKU is legitimately still in contention and look like Cleveland state looked at the series this weekend as the series that legitimized sure, their record. Sure. This and was they, a big it, deal it, for them to beat should. NKU twice. Right. And, and that should, and that's fun to be looked at in that, in that manner. I mean, when they, they won that overtime game on Saturday night, that was a big deal for them. And it sucked to be an NKU fan in that moment. But at the same time, it's, it's pretty fun to have that target on your back and realize in a few short years of division one basketball, you've become the class of, of the horizon league. And so, you know, IUPUI, Robert Morris, UIC, Milwaukee, and green Bay, the next series NKU has coming up before they face Wright state at home. All of those are very, very winnable series for NKU. So uh, yeah, I think they can absolutely compete for the top two or three in the horizon league. Once again, I don't know that they'll quite get there, but once push comes to shove and they're in conference tournament, I think they will be very dangerous. All right, boys, final thoughts, Chad Brown, you got a final thought of anything? Uh, Rick, I got a question for you. Okay. Oh, here we go. So you said about a week and a half ago, uh, you were looking forward to seeing SMU to understand, get a better understanding of the American conference. Uh, this conference stinks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really bad. It's really like, bad this year. I'm the Houston hype is, is large. Their best player is gone. I will still never understand Kelvin Sampson insisting that his best player needed to be a six man uh, to the point that he ran him off. Uh, I don't know that Houston, Houston's a tournament team. I don't know that they're good. And I don't know who's the second best team in the league. I was going to say, what else is there? Well, Houston is clearly the best. The loss to Tulsa was at Tulsa, at least. It didn't look good. They've recovered since then. The Wichita State game wasn't great, but, I mean, they still won it. They, they didn't look great against SMU either. That thing went into the final five minutes. It was really close. Yeah, I mean, and they, pull, they pulled away big, though. I mean, they ended up winning that one handily. I, yeah, I mean, but it, H- wasn't, H- it was, wasn't pretty for, like, 32 minutes. Like, yes. it was a back and forth. To your point, I mean, Houston is a clear tournament team, and then after that, I, th- I mean, there's it's definitely a two-bid league, I would think. There's no way it's going to be just a one-bid conference. But Who's second? <laughs> but, like, who, but who is the second team? There, you can't give me a guaranteed team that's going to make the tournament this year. SMU will be on the bubble. Memphis, I, I mean, they're going to have to fight to wake their, their way to the bubble. 
who Honestly, else are we going thing, with? Bells, the only thing I would tell you is keep playing games. That's what's going to get you in. Keep playing games. When you can yeah. play games, play them. But it's you're just winning. A, it's like there's like there's Houston, and then there's like eight teams in this conference that are pretty much the same thing. And it's average or a little below average. I don't think there's any of them. It's at, look, maybe that was an off night for SMU. That SMU team I watched UC beat is not an above average team. No, agree. No. Well, and, and that's, that's the an other thing about team. this is NK, or, uh, UC could beat anybody in this conference. Like they still have a lot of games left on the schedule. I, I see like some of the people UC fan wise posting about they should be doing this or they should be doing that. That suggests like they should be moving on from the season already. And if I'm like, if I'm on John <laughs> Brandon's staff, I'm looking at what I have coming up schedule. They can win this I'm tournament. Thinking, right. And I'm thinking like, this is who we've been our entire careers. We make runs in the conference tournament. So that's what I was, that's what I was getting at. Is this something you look at if you're John Brandon and you're like, as long as I can get this thing right by the end of February, no question. Yes. And, and somebody else takes out Houston. We can win this league. I'm not going to say you feel tournament. We can win the conference tournament. I'm not going to say you feel a lot different about this team right now than you did a week or two ago. Right. But I mean, you have to feel a little different about the team, right? They're starting to move in a better direction, clearly, offensively, I, I, if nothing else. And, and I just mean more. You look around the conference and you go, eh, eh. Right. But, but eh. I mean, I, I think the John Brandon thing has been like, in addition to the fact that he's still obviously trying to rebuild the situation at UC, yeah. he's always ran a program that peaks at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, but here's March. the thing. Here, here's right. the thing. He he ain't taking for a draft pick. I mean, it's not like you're going, "Hey, let's lose so we can get this draft pick." You're right. gonna keep trying to win games, and I'm I'm with you. I think, I think they've got a Chinaman's chance in that regard. I mean, they just do. You get the right bracket, you end up where I mean, and, and the problem is, I don't know what the right bracket looks like because I don't know who's any good two to ten. I, it's somewhere. Everybody is somewhere between average to slightly below average. I, let's put From it this what way. I've seen. UC doesn't have to get any better or play well to get to nine wins in conference this year. They need to make shots. Right. Yes, of course. Go make shots. They need to, well, if they, they make shots, they might like, be the second or third best team in the conference. Right. Playing right. the way they are right now, they'll get to nine wins, period. Right. Yeah. I, it's, I, I don't know, man. I've, just, I've watched a bunch of this league so far. Um, there's some decent individual talent. Other than Houston, there's nothing that jumps off the page. And and the more I watch Houston, they they don't shoot it well. I mean, they rebound the hell of it out of out of it, and they defend like they do. You know, they they built themselves in the the image of Cincinnati when Mick was here. They're just better off. What do you think, Bear? Do you agree? Yeah, he agreed. Bear Bear's not bullish on Houston either. I don't, or, or he's mad at me for talking bad about them. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know, man. I just Rick and I had this conversation on Twitter. It was probably what a week and a half ago, Rick. And the, the results since then tell me I don't know. There's any I, I don't know. There's anybody that's above average outside of Houston. Yeah, I would agree. Rick, Rick, final thought. You know, while things are up and down for NKU right now, I do think they have the freshman of the year in Marquez Warwick. Yeah, he's really good. He, he really he's good. been unbelievable including this weekend at Cleveland state where he had some late game heroics that, that kept some games alive for them and, and played really well. So, I mean, he, he might even be looking at another conference 
freshman player of the week or whatever they call it. Um, this he's year, had like four. He's had like four of them already, right? Yeah, he's won like all of them but one. And David it's Bam crazy. won the other one. It's, I think. Yeah, it's so, crazy. Yeah, it's been NKU dominant. That's the good news for NKU is it's like all three freshmen have shown great flashes, and Marquez work has pretty much become their go-to guy on the offensive end. So while it's a rebuilding time, it's also an exciting time at NKU. Yeah, there we go. One more for Skinny. Yes, Skinny. The char- the charge has gotten out of control. Uh, I hate to tell you, I love them. I just take them. Just <laughs> no, take them. And look, I, look, the calls have gotten out of control. Guys are getting calls on charges for just standing somewhere that's not even any impact in the play. Well, hang like, on. Hang, there, hang, was hang, a, there was a play today. David Julius had passed the ball like four seconds earlier, landed and took two steps, and some guy just fell down for a charge. Give, me, will, a, give me a bleep and break. That's probably you're probably right, but I'm just going to tell you, as long as you have legal guarding position, and I just did a rules clinic on this, Chad, two weeks ago. As long as you have, you were the lecturer, weren't you? Son of a, I I should have been, but as long as you have legal guarding position, you cannot get run over. You can turn your hips, you can turn your shoulder, you can turn your head, you can turn anything you want, and if they run you over, that is a charge. I and I love it. Podcast. I love it. I know that. I know that's why you do, Rick. I know <laughs> that. That's why I love goading you guys on the charge. It's just, it's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. I'm just a big fan. Don't you run me suck. Over. Don't drive down the lane. Don't run me <sighs> over. You want to pull up and shoot an eight footer? Pull up, baby. And you're going to miss it. To go the back river, let's go. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to make a pass at 15 feet and, and you're still walking at six feet and the guy happens to be standing there, that's a charge. Okay, Give me a that, break. I, I will give you that part sounds like a bad call to me, in my opinion. I will give you that one, Chad. I didn't see it, but I, I, based on what you're telling me, I think you're probably right. And yes, Rick, the mid-range game is underrated. Layups are underrated. Fundamental basketball is underrated. And taking your right. charge is underrated. And guess what? Don't give me the whole hit and hit, hit for a box out to go get a rebound. Hit I get, hate baby. anybody. Hit and get hit, hit and get is the dumbest thing ever. Because guess what? Hit there ain't many guys you're get, on Skinny's team, son. It's no, it's not hit and sit. It's hit, turn, and walk them out until you box them into the friggin' wall. Because you know why? At my level, no one rebounds above the rim. No, no one. I mean, so hit, why would you think about Rick, hit and get? If you hit and get, you're hitting and sitting on Skinny's team on the bench right next to Coach. That's damn. That's damn Skinny, baby. Yep. Rick. Yeah. Rick. What? What about Skinny uh, uh, championing the the lowest percentage shot in the sport? I love. I love the mid range game. I love it. I, I'm a big mid-range game guy. Larry I mean, Bird. Hey, the Celtics teams of the '80s scored 125 yeah. a game off mid-range no jump shots. He's Larry Bird. Well, okay. Sorry for the cursing, Rick. It's fine. Well, it's can, good. It's can good. I ask it, why we're recapping these opinion. subjects on the fifth year that we're doing this podcast? I know when that they come up because, every single year. Because, I mean, this is there you know why new listeners. There yes, might be new it, listeners. Exactly. We indoctrinate them into this just, podcast. On exactly. Just got to stamp thing is, the brand on it. Exactly. Chad, the thing I like about that is you're exactly right. There are people that may not have listened and go, holy cow, these guys know basketball. <laughs> Other than the old man who thinks he coaches basketball, that guy's an idiot. So I'm good with uh, that. Uh, All right, boys. Somebody, somebody, I won't say who. I won't say who's skinny. Somebody hit me the other day with skinny goes nuts. And what's he do? Coach freshman basketball. Uh, all I know is I just win national I, I, championship. I, hey, hey, national Rick, championship, Rick, Rick, skinny. Rick, 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 Rick do him. it one more. T- Rick, do it one more time for me. What is it? What did I win? 
national championships. Can he tell them one time? National championship. Isn't that something? National National championship. championship. Huh? That means there's teams from where, Rick? Where were the teams from, Rick? As far as I know, all across the nation. That would imply skinny. Uh, we beat a team from San Diego, a team from Baltimore, a team from Boston, a team from Chicago, a team from Brooklyn, and a team from wherever Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania is. And I'm still trying to figure out where that was, but we beat them in the championship game. They must have been great because they got there. So there we go. <laughs> I, I just had to make sure we stamped our brand on this podcast exactly. on, on, on the return. Exactly. Rick, 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 will you say it one more time? What did, I, what, what did my team win? Not hey. me. I didn't win. Not a state championship, correct. not a district championship, correct. not a regional championship. That's correct. A national huh. championship. That's national crazy. championship winning coach. Like that's, that's all. Who is any? That's who, who we have is on anybody our to, Who is anybody to dispute a national championship winning coach? Except for the fact that his dumbass loves Chargers. I love Chargers, and that's how we won the national championship. We took about ten of them in that game, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> believe that. that. I enjoyed it as always. We'll be back next Sunday night into Monday morning for uh, Rick Boring, Chad Brendel from uh, Rick from MusketeerReport.com, Chad Brendel from BearcatJournal.com. I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition. We're back.